you, Brother Caleb. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad we got these young men like Brother Phil and Brother Caleb running the service. Just all I have to do is get up and preach. I love it. Proverbs chapter number 30 this morning. Proverbs chapter 30. If you're visiting with us, your honored guest, thank you for being here. Do come back again, every opportunity. Amen. Our pastor says this is the best church in the country. I'll have to agree. Proverbs chapter number 30. While you're turning there, I'm going to give an illustration, and, and it will tie in uh, with the message, and we'll read uh, those, uh, those verses there. I'm Proverbs chapter 30, I'm going to read verse 11, 12, 13, and 14 for the message this morning. How many of you still like to drink 7-Up? Raise your hand. You like to drink 7-Up? Let me tell you about 7-Up. That's an unusual drink. At our house, we use 7-Up with crackers when we have an upset stomach. That's, that's when we drink 7-Up. But 7-Up's been around a long time, since 1929. Wow. And get this. Originally, it was the label was Bib Label Lithotad Lemon Lime Soda. That was the name of it. It was often used as a mood-stabilizing drug until 1948. It contained lithium citrate, which was removed in 1948. Wow. How about that? I might need some of that after this message today. Many years later, though, the Walter Thompson Advertising Agency was hired to shake up the soft drink industry. So their campaign lasted from, if anybody was young enough to remember this or old enough to remember this, from 1969 to 1975 were tough years in America. The uh, Vietnam War was winding down. There was a lot of rebellion going on. Abortion was in, in big sway, you know, and so... Uh, 1969, 1975, they rebranded 7-Up and they called it the Uncola. This morning I got on YouTube and looked at some of those Uncola advertisements. They had this, had this big man of color up there and he would advertise that and he said, go have some fun in the sun with the Uncola. And boy, that, that ad tied in with the, with the, uh, the anti-establishment movement of that time. And so this morning with the Uncola in mind, I want us to look at Proverbs chapter 30 Beginning with verse number 11. You're accustomed to standing. We'll ask you to do that. Just four verses. We'll stand, read the word, then we'll pray and let you be sit down. <clears throat> seat down, seated. Proverbs 30 and verse 11. There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that appear in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. Our Father, these, these, verses, these verses have struck a chord in my heart for a long, long time. And, and Lord, I, I hate to say it, but we're seeing it more and more and more in our country, in our nation, and around the world. So, Lord, let us take this message today. As feeble as I am, help us, God, to get it across. And, uh, and Lord, uh, for any here that's lost without Christ, let them know that they are among people that love them. And we were where they were just a few years ago. So I pray the Spirit of God now will help us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As you know, the Bible is a marvelous history book. I love history, and I love the history in the Bible, but it's also an amazing book of prophecy. I love the prophecies in the Bible. And even though these words were written almost 3,000 years ago, think about that. 
almost 3,000 years ago, they were written, and yet they are more up-to-date than tomorrow's newspaper. God was so sure of himself that he put things down in his book that was going to happen way in the future. And these four verses, I'm calling this message the ungeneration, the ungeneration. These verses now, you notice there, there is a generation, there is generation. They, they're repetitious. Uh, repetitious phrase, I'll say that word right now, with the repetitious phrase, there is a generation, they're both historical and they are prophetic in nature. Proverbs 30 and verse number 1, look at this. Proverbs 30 and verse 1, the words of Agur, the son of Jehu, even the prophecy. So we're talking about prophecy when we read these words. Uh, Ag Ag Solomon, Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs, but there was others that wrote. Moses wrote some, I think, or anyway, some of the others, and so... Uh, we've got these other writers, but anyway, inspired by the Spirit of God. But uh, he was inspired by the Spirit of God. And this man, Agur, we don't know much about him. Scholars think that he probably was a contemporary of Solomon. He grew up with Solomon. So here he is. He spoke of generations that will manifest horrible characteristics. Just the very first line, there is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. That's, that's a terrible generation right there. But in every, no doubt every generation since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden had some people with these types of characteristics. But you know it's only gotten worse. And because of their wickedness of mankind and sinfulness of mankind, God once destroyed that generation in, in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9 with the flood. The next time, he's going to destroy it by fire. You know this. All you have to do is watch the news, a little bit of news, and you will see that these type of people that I just read about in Proverbs 30, verse 11, 12, 13, 14, they, they, they're among us. They're all over the world. And I believe some are living among us. The Lord Jesus talked about an evil generation. He talked about vipers, generation of vipers. How shall you escape the damnation of hell? So he talked about his generation. And you know what that generation did? They crucified the Lord of glory. And so prophetically, these verses seem to be referring now uh, to generations that will crown the Antichrist as a ruler of the world. They, are, they, are, they seem to me that close. So let's take a look, closer look. I have, I have four... Uh, points and four sub-points for the message this morning. So you say amen, we'll get through at a decent time. Everybody all right? Let's get with it. Verse number 11 describes an ungrateful generation. An ungrateful generation. There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. This is a cursing and disrespectful generation. The, un the, the, the ungrateful generation would include that abortion crowd, that since 1973 have killed and murdered over 65 million babies. That's a lot of bloodshed. Preacher, is judgment coming to America? It's already here. It's already here just for that one thing. These types of people, they're void of, of natural affection. They have no natural affection. A person that would curse their father and their mother and doth not bless their mother is already void of the natural affection they have. We ought to love our fathers and love our mothers and obey them and, and, and respect them. And yet, you know what would happen to a Jewish boy under Old Testament law if they cursed their father and mother? They would be stoned to death. It was a capital offense. So, so Agar, writing by the Spirit of God, said this is a generation, and of course, they, I don't think they were doing it much in his generation, even in Solomon's and even in Jesus' generation, because they believed in the family a unit, and they believed that they ought to teach their children respect, and so they did. But now then, here we are. I'll talk about America, because I don't know about all the world, but I figure it's pretty bad there too. But anyway, this ungrateful generation, they're defiant to authority. 
They defy their parents. They, they're starting with parental authority. Folks, we ought to know this. If a child is allowed to constantly rebel against their parents, guess what's going to happen when they go to school? They're going to rebel against the principal. Amen. Guess what's going to happen when they get 16 years old? They're going to rebel against the policeman. Guess what when they come to church? Woe be to any preacher that would call them out as a sinner. You know, he would just be the one that would be bad guy. People don't like to be told no these days, and people don't like to be called sinners, but we are. Don't tell it like we are. That's what we are. But this ungrateful generation uh, thinks the world owes them a living. Where do they come off with that? The, 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 I'll talk about that gun shooting down there in Texas. Didn't that 30-year-old was still living with his parents and killed all those people yesterday in the mall? This is, this, he's here. He's in these verses right here. We just read about him. The ungrateful generation thinks the world owes them living. They think the government owes them more than what they have. Living off the government. That's, we are how many trillion dollars in debt? 30, $31 trillion in debt? Wow. Listen, uh, they think their parents owe them something more than they have. Has there ever been a generation more rebellious to their parents than our generation? It would be far-fetched to find them, really. Just this last weekend, a group of Satanists went to Boston and the, a, a large crowd met in Boston. This is what all the news people said. They said it's the largest gathering of Satanists in history. I saw a video of a, a woman, not a lady, a woman up on the stage. And in order to defy the establishment, you know what she did? She took the Bible and began to rip pages out of the Bible. That was in Boston last week. And then they burned a, a, a what's, what's it called, a thin blue line flag. They burned a thin blue blue line flag which represents a police officer. Listen, they hate God who is the authority and they hate the police who is the delegated authority and the Bible says in Romans 13 they are ministers sent forth. So a policeman is, a, is to, to protect and serve and they are, they, want, they are friends if you let them be their friends but they want to defy that by tearing pieces of the Bible out. You think, you think God said, oh they're hurting me. Oh no. But I guarantee he had, a, he had an angel write her name down. He keeps, he keeps everything recorded. He's got good re recording equipment. He's not a low-tech man like I am. God's a high-tech God, and he's got it all recorded. And one of these days, he's going to bring it down on those rebellious people. Uh, <clears throat> but thank God there were, I read this, there were about 250 Christians who heard about this meeting, and they got it really well organized, and they went there not to shout them down. They went there to pray. And they went there to love those Satanists. And they went there to give the gospel to those who would listen. And you can't tell by these numbers, but about 100 people were saved during that Boston Satanic meeting. Not a lot of them were Satanists, but there were people there who were just disillusioned with the church, mad at God, offended. And so they, they got to some of those people, and they witnessed to them, and they were saved there. So amen for that. But this describes this ungrateful generation. They are a cursing and disrespectful generation. Folks, the devil and evil are celebrated in our day. They're celebrated, even in America. You've heard it said many times before that our homes are in trouble, and I'm glad our preacher preaches on the home and what a, what a wonderful home he has, and he's preaching on the home, and I, I, I agree with that. But our homes are in trouble. The devil's always trying to destroy the husband-wife relationship. Amen? Some of you husband-wives probably argued before you got to church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, you know how we are. But uh, he's always trying to drive a wedge in between you. The parent-child relationship. Some of you kids, I want you to listen to me, especially for teenagers. The devil is trying to tear you away from your parents. 
He's trying to pull you away and you hate those rules and you're kicking against the bricks and they've got walls of protection all around you. They won't let you stay out after midnight and they've got these all walls all around and you think if I could only get out there and have my fun, but there's a big bad devil out there just waiting for you to cross that line of protection. I hope you're not in the sermon this morning. If you are, please, please listen. As the, Someone said this, as the home goes, so goes the nation. No wonder our God talked about the importance of the home so much. Time Magazine described many people growing up in America today. Time Magazine is one of the most worldly, secular magazines that there is. Amen? But this is what Time Magazine said. They described many people growing up in America as a remorseless generation. That's what Time Magazine called them, a remorseless generation. They are not sorry or repentant over their crimes. They are not sorry or repentant over their sins. Uh, school shootings have plagued our nation. I, I guess the first one I remember maybe was Columbine, but one that drew closer to home was East, uh, I mean, uh, West, West Paducah when Michael Cor Cor Cornell uh, shot those people there. And now the, I guess they've been hundreds. You can trace them back. There were school shootings in in the 1700s when some guy got mad at some, some teacher or some teacher's husband or whatever. You know, I've read about those. But I'm talking about it's, it seems like every week there's a school shooting. The most safest place in the world ought to be a woman's womb in the school, but it's not anymore. It's not anymore. We're in the last generation. It's been reported that 8% of teachers and 5% of district leaders have been assaulted by students. Te teacher, when I was in school, the teachers did the assaulting. <laughs> Amen. You remember that, man? We had one teacher, Miss Riddle, and she carried, she put a thumb, uh, uh, what's those things called, a thimble, a sewing thimble. She put it on her thumb, uh, finger, and she would thump bad boys like me on the head. They assaulted us, but boy, the tables have been turned. It's not safe to be a teacher in a school anymore. And these statistics, this this, this list, for, uh, what I say, eight to. 8% of teachers and 5% of district leaders have been assaulted by students. That statistic is several years old. It's much worse now. You've got gangs, you've got uh, drugs, you've got rape and robbery and violence on every hand. Preacher, what is the answer? The government doesn't know the answer. They do not know the answer. They do not. But I'll tell you the answer has always been and always will be the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the answer to the ungeneration. He's the only hope for this uncaring and cursing and disrespectful and ungrateful generation. So verse 11 describes an ungrateful generation. Verse 12, let's notice. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. This describes an unsaved generation. An unsaved generation. This generation is corrupt and depraved. They're full of themselves. They're devoid of spiritual life. They have little or no moral standards at all. The, the, not, the Bible has been banned now, and of course this brings it up to date now. The Bible has been banned in, in schools for almost 60 years now. How many of you grew up in school and their teacher had a Bible on her desk? Raise your hand. Boy, that's not many, is it? That's not many. And the teacher would pray with the students. That's not many. I'm, talking about I'm not talking about Christian school. I'm talking about public schools, and we had about six people to hold up their hand. Think about that. Over 60 years now, the, the, the Bible's been banned. The Ten Commandments are not only ignored now, but they're fought against in almost every city in the United States of America. They're fighting against the Ten Commandments like that law was going to jump out and bite them. <laughs> that law's already jumped out and bit them. Amen? 
I mean, listen, we're not under the law, we're under grace, but I have a deep respect for the Ten Commandments. In all of this, this is a bad news sermon, and I don't give these very often, but this is a ba- in all this bad news sermon that I'm giving, there is some good news. Would you like to hear it? Texas State, <laughs> Texas State Senator Phil King, a Republican, introduced a new bill into the Lone Star State to mandate the Ten Commandments to be displayed in every public, public classroom in the state. Amen, Senator. We need more like him. Amen. Amen. Now let's go back to the bad news. Humanistic and ungodly views on sex and homosexual marriages are openly taught in school. This is something I cannot comprehend. Instead of biblical ethics and morality, folks, we live in a crazy and a confused and a corrupt society. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. You know these things. You know them. And uh, the thing to do about them is what are we going to do? Jesus Christ. We've got to spread the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way for this sin-sick, sorry society that we live in. Don't give up. Where's that flag? Where's that flag? There it is. Don't give up on America. Amen. There's still hope. Even if it's just a remnant, there's hope. There's hope today in Calvary Baptist Church. Amen. I know we got people missing on vacation, but folks, this gives me hope to see you here. And I'll tell you what really gives me hope in this church, these young people. And we ought to invest ourselves in the next generation. Amen. I thank God for these young people. Thank, thank God for them. Hollywood's done, certainly done their part in corrupting our minds, haven't they? The Proverbs declare this, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. This unsaved generation, they may be pure in their own eyes. I'm all right, but they're certainly not washed from their own filthiness according to the Word of God. They may even look good in public, but folks, their private lives, they are corrupt. That's what this, I can't, I can't get all those letters right. L-G-B-T-Q, you know, M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. I can't get all those straightened out. But that crowd is an ungodly crowd. Amen. This unsaved generation, they're not pure in their own eyes. Paul described it this way in the New Testament. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Let me define that word perilous from the 1828 dictionary. Perilous, dangerous, hazardous, and full of risk. How many of you are really afraid to go to a mall anymore? Raise your hand. Oh, you folks are brave. Amen? Amen. I like, I like malls. I like to go to Walmart, but I'll tell you, I'm, I'm aware of my surroundings when I go. People are crazy these days. Perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. There it is. Unthankful. We read about that. Unholy, without natural affection. This is New Testament. Truce breakers, breakers false accusers, incontinent. They have no control, no self-control. Well, if it feels, Fat Albert said, if it feels good, do it. You better not. Fat Albert was wrong about other things too, amen? Incontinent. Fierce. Despised of those that are good. Traitors. Heady. High-minded. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. From such, turn away. Jesus Christ is the only hopeful, folks, for this ungrateful and unsaved generation. Verse 13 describes an unpredictable generation. Look at it with me in verse 13. Unpredictable. There is a generation, oh how lofty. Oh how lofty are their eyes and their eyes are lifted up. This is a conceited and deceived generation. This scornful generation is marked by its haughty pride. 
were there. Their attitude, their actions, their words, even their body language says that nobody is going to tell me what to do. Amen? I'm not picking on the younger generation. I know people my age that feel the same way. I know people that are 69 years old that you couldn't tell them no, they'd be fighting mad. You tried to correct them on something, they'd be mad. I'm not picking on the young generation. I'm just saying there is a generation. We read about four of them right there, all right? But this conceited and deceived generation, nobody's going to tell me what to do. They seem to be proud of their own pride. They march it down the streets. We're going to have Gay Pride Week. How sickening. How sickening. Amen. I just want to shake them and jerk a knot in their tail. I can't do that though. I'm a kind Christian, you know. But I'd like to. The pride in the in the in the in the streets. Proverbs sixteen five. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Amen. Abomination is a strong word. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Verse thirteen. There is a generation. Oh, how lofty are their eyes! Their eyes are lifted up like they're looking down with disdain on us common people. God is saying that a proud person may project their feeling of of superiority. Excuse me, just a minute. Uh, their feelings of superiority just by the look in their eyes. Verse verse eleven talks about the mouth, a generation that curses their father and mother. Verse twelve talks about the eyes. Verse 13 talks about the eyes. And then we're back to the mouth and when we come to verse 14, whose teeth are his swords. We'll get to that in just a moment. Think about that with their eyes. They just, if looks to kill, we'd be dead witnessing to some people. You knock on somebody's door and they come out there and they don't even want you on the porch. COVID changed our world with that, didn't it? They don't even, you have to be very, very careful. You see, when I was a young preacher, I'd knock on the door and they'd say, come on in, especially in this area, come on in. Yeah, I was reluctant to come into some places, but there have been places where I did just, just come on in. You know, Let's sit down at the kitchen table and talk about the Lord. Those days are almost gone. That, that's in, that's in uh, you know, the, the, uh, the hee-haw days. That's gone from America. In Proverbs 6, God associates, with, God, God associates pride with lying and murder. Those cardinal sins people talk about. With their eyes, their eyelids lifted up, they looked down with scorn on anyone who correct them, who would tell them no. Many years ago, Cable and I were doing, uh, starting on deputation, getting ready to do our missionary work, and we were, we were in another state, staying in a pastor's home. The pastor had two homes. He had a home uh, in the country and had a home in town because the church was in town, and I'd been preaching for him in town. And so we were staying in the pastor's home. So he came over one day and baked a cake. He, had, he said, I got a, I've got this special oven. I'm going to bake y'all cake. So he did it. His little grandson was there, five years old. Okay, you remember this? He was five years old. Well, this has been a long time ago. I hope we get the story right. But this has been about 25 years ago, 20 years ago anyway. But anyway, we were there, and that little boy, five-year-old, was playing, and I heard him say a bad word. And I'm thinking, should I correct him or not? And he just, he, you know, and he just acted like it's an everyday thing. So I corrected that little five-year-old boy. Folks, I want to tell you what he did. That little boy, he was about that tall. He got red in the face. His countenance toward me changed. He doubled up his fist. If he would have been a 15-year-old, I wouldn't be here preaching a sermon. He would have killed me. That little five-year-old boy, all I said was, you shouldn't be using that kind of language. And he doubled his fist up. And you know what? This morning I was thinking about that again. And Kate, I think that boy's name was Stone. 
That little boy's name was Stone. Now, I'm telling you what, they like wrestling. You remember Stone Cold? I think they kind of liked that, and boy, that boy went stone on me just by saying, no, you shouldn't use language like that. And it's, it's that way everywhere now. You correct people, I'm telling you, we're, I'm talking about an unpredictable generation. Amen. You do not know what people are going to do. You just don't know. That's why I admire. I'm, I'm not knocking on doors these days with these, these people that are going out on Saturdays, but I admire you and I pray every Saturday when you go out because I know you're going out as an army with banners and you're going out into the... You've you're, you're got your boots on, amen? Boots on and you're going out and you're fighting the battle. You're, on, you're the Marine Corps. You're the, you're, the, you're the fodder, as they call it. They're the ones on the front line. They are the ones that get shot at. And so they're going out there and I admire you. You've got courage. It takes courage to do that because we live in a time that this is an unpredictable generation. Amen. That's what I believe that they're describing there in verse 13. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I guess, I, I don't guess it. I know I'm too old-fashioned. The, from the hairdos and their haircuts and even the way they wear their clothes seem to just proclaim their rebellious attitude. Everybody all right? Amen. Lest you think I'm judging. A few years ago, of course, we lived in Hope, Arkansas, and we had a gas station right down the road that I, I'd like to go to, and so they change hands all the time in these convenience stores, you know, stations. So I went in there one day, and they have two sides. And so I went up there. I like this. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a creature of habit. I went to this one side all the time. And they had, a, they had a young woman there, probably about 20 years old. She was an attractive young lady. And I walked up there, and she had on a sleeveless shirt, and she had tattoos all over her body. And, oh, I want to stay in, you know, I, I, I didn't want to judge her, but she had those tattoos all over her arms. And so I did. I went up there. She was the sweetest, kindest person that I have ever seen. You, you, you can't judge. I you can't, I started to say I don't have a tattoo, but I might. <clears throat> uh, you, you can't judge those people when they got the, you know, they look like, I see, I see guys and they look like they fell into my tackle box. They got those things all over their body. They need the Lord. They, they need the Lord. So every time I go to that station, I'd go to that gal. Tattoos and all. She was kind. She was considerate. I mean, her voice, there was kindness in her voice. Amen. That was just, it was just a part of her life, you know, that I didn't have any business in. But I'm just saying, I'm not judging people, but I'm just saying, I'm, I'm old-fashioned. You don't want to get me started on much of that. Okay, let's go on. This conceited and deceived, uh, unpredictable generation needs Jesus Christ, folks. He is their only hope. And lastly, verse 14 describes an ungodly generation. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and needy from among men. This is a callous and destructive generation. The Bible compares people who oppress the poor and needy to cruel wild beasts with sharp teeth that devour the prey. In Acts chapter 7, they gnashed on him with their teeth. Whether they actually got teeth into the skin or not, I don't know. That word, that word gnash could mean just, they went up to him and went like that. And that's what gnashing means. 
But if they got close enough, they probably bit old Stephen. But I'll tell you, they were wicked then and they're wicked now. Almost daily in the news, we see these destructive mobs. They barge in the restaurants. You've seen that on the news. They run into restaurants, these mobs. They turn over tables. And they, they throw chairs at one another. Then they go out in the street and they kick old people. They knock old people down like me and kick them when they're down. What's gotten into people like that? They're ungodly. They're callous. They don't feel that. When they knock somebody down, they kick them. They have no feelings. They don't feel that. That's why they're hard to reach, but it takes the gospel, but it takes the dynamite of God to blow them out of their, their no consciousness. They are conscious. They're no conscious. But it's an ungodly generation. 50 years ago in America, that was unheard of. 50 years ago, someone would have yanked them up and probably choked them. Amen. Ungodly generation, callous and destructive. This ungodly generation, they're the ones that call evil good and good evil. They're the ones that call us Christians crazy for meeting here on a Sunday morning and hear somebody scream at one another. Amen. They call us crazy. Listen, I'm not crazy. I'm just saved. The ungodly generation, they're the ones that love darkness rather than light. You know why they love darkness rather than light? Their deeds are evil. Many of them have an infatuation with uh, self-mutilation. I've seen people cut themselves with the, had, had those marks where they where they cut themselves uh, with their with the razor blades. Just just they self harm and and I've never had an infatuation from death. In fact, I don't even plan on dying. Amen. Amen. I ain't, I ain't got any plans on dying. I'm gonna be like Abraham. I'm not buying I'm not buying a grave till I die. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, he bought one for Sarah after she died. But anyway. I'm not planning on dying. Just as soon as you hear that Mike Redman's dead, don't you believe it for one minute. I'll be more alive than I've ever been. Amen. Death is just a separation. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Death is, death holds no victory on the child of God. But, on the, but they have a fatuation with death. They dress like death. They look like death. They smell like death. Why? Because they're an ungodly generation. Oh, this callous and destructive and ungodly generation, they need the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'm ashamed to say this. But before I was saved in my rebellion years, I could identify with all four types of these people. I was ungrateful. I cursed my parents, not, not in front of them. No, no, I like my teeth too well. I remember saying things behind their back that was ungodly. Unsaved, unpredictable, oh yes. When I had hair, it was sort of red, and I had a temper. Unpredictable and ungodly. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe deep down in your heart, you can identify with some of these two. I hope not. Maybe they describe you. They sure have described me in my past life. And I hope and pray that's not the case. But it is, if it is the case, there's hope. What God done for me 51 years ago, he can do for you. 51 years ago, I realized I was lost and Jesus Christ was my only hope and he saved my wretched soul and I'll be forever grateful for that. Psalm 112, listen to this wonderful verse. I just found this this week to put in my notes. Psalm 112 and verse 2 says this. His seed, talking about the Lord's seed, shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright, that's what I want to be a part of. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. What's that mean? What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that if you are ungrateful, you are not a blessed person. I'm saying that if you are unsaved, you are not blessed by the Lord. 
I'm saying if you are unpredictable, you are not blessed by the Lord. If you are an ungodly generation, you are not blessed by the Lord. But if you are of the upright generation, you're always blessed. Amen. Every day, every hour, every month, every year, every minute, every second. Folks, we have his book. Let's study it and cherish it. Amen. We've got his book. We have his name. Christian, let's carry it well. We have his will. Let's delight to do it. We have his songs. Let's sing them with joy. We have his gifts. Let's use them for his glory. We are his people. Let's never be ashamed of him as our Lord and Savior. Amen. Some 3,000 years ago, God inspired Agur. I'm looking forward to meeting Agur to write about an ungrateful, an unsaved, an unpredictable, an ungodly generation. And the only hope for them and the only hope for now is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Every head bowed, never closed. Our Father, this morning, this morning, there's so many stories and so many people that come to my mind, but time would not permit all that, God. But I pray in this invitation you'll speak to our hearts. May these young people respond. May they not sit here and just not just like a water on a duck's back. May they take heed. May, the, may these young couples take heed with their children. May these middle-aged couples take heed because the devil's trying to tear them apart. Divorce is at an all-time high, even among Christian people. And may his older generation not remember so much of the past and forget so much of the present, oh God. I pray you'll speak to our hearts now in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed. You can stay seated.